Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. The Athletic. The race is on, and with 12 out of 22 races in the history books and F1 in its August break, what better time to reflect on the performance of the 10 teams so far in 2023 and decide who has underachieved and who has fallen short of expectations? I'm Ed Straw, and joining us to grade the teams are Mark Hughes and Gary Anderson. Well, Mark, how are you uh, enjoying the uh, August break? Obviously, a little bit of a, a time away from Formula One. Oh, it's pretty good so far. Yeah, it's um, yes, you're right. It's it's never far from your mind, but um, that's not a bad thing. Uh, your mind works over, you know, even even when you're asleep, so they say. So yeah, like you can you can have a holiday and, and be thinking at the same time. That sounds like a good excuse for how you're doing work when you're asleep. I like that one. I might try that in the uh, <laughs> in the future. And uh, Gary Anderson, looking wide awake, fortunately. How's August treating you? Yeah, it's good. Yeah, no problems at all. Um, I'd say looking forward to a little bit of a break from F1, but I think, and as I say, in a couple of weeks' time, we'll probably be uh, wishing it was back on again because, you know, it has been a good season. Uh, it's an interesting season. Obviously, Red Bull are doing their thing and the others are playing catch-up, but still, um, there's a lot of battling going on down the field and uh, a lot of interest there with all the, the mid-team bunch of trying to uh, out-develop each other. So, uh, looking forward to getting back to it and see what happens. Yeah, and we're going to be working our way through the field from back to front to give our review of the first half of the year and grade them against expectations. So we've given a little bit of a, a letter grade, a letter and a plus or a minus or uh, in the middle, depending on how they've done. But that's against expectations and, and the level they can be expected to achieve rather than just reflecting the Constructors' Championship order. So our first team is going to be AlphaTauri. Just the three points for AlphaTauri so far this year, last in the Constructors' Championship, we've given them a D. So, Gary, what do you make of Alpha Tauri, Red Bull's junior team or sister team, as we're meant to call it, this year? Well, I can relate to that D because when I was at school, I got quite a few of them. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, must try harder. I suppose is the best way of putting it. It's a bit strange because you know they're also down the bottom as far as my super percentage is called. It's one of those sort of situations where nothing's really worked for them this year. They don't have the speed, they don't have the points, they don't really have the reliability. You know, it, it's all working against them. And I think that, you know, if you looked at them as a team with their relationship to Red Bull, there should be some, should have been some decent crossover there between 2022 to 2023. You know, I know the regulations um, strive for each team to build their own car, but as we can see with Haas, there is crossover with Ferrari. So, um I'm surprised they haven't they didn't take that route because you know they weren't they weren't King Kong by any means in 2022, so there's a there was the writing was on the wall for this and um, it didn't it, they just don't seem to have taken any lessons from it and obviously now with the driver situation as well with uh, Devers getting you know, getting the bullet and Daniel Daniel Ricciardo coming back again they're obviously looking there to see what uh, a more experienced driver can do in the car they're not quite accepting it themselves I think that it's that it is down to the thing with four wheels on it that's causing them the grief and uh, as a team you have to accept that you have to look at that first of all you have to say that um, you know Sonoda and Devers were, were good drivers you know maybe not world champion potential but good decent drivers and to be honest, they were bringing the you know they were bringing the team what the car could give them, and uh, I'm not sure there's a magic bullet in, in uh, Ricardo coming back, um, but we'll we'll have to wait and see. He's obviously done a pretty good job in these two races he's done, or at least the first one. Um, but 
I think the team need to look at themselves a little bit and say, look, we, we've got it wrong. Yeah, quite a lot more to be done there. Obviously, Mark, it's a car that's struggled in the slower corners, particularly that late entry instability, and then it transitions to understeer. They do seem to have struggled with that challenge with these cars of getting consistent performance throughout a range of ride heights. I know that's a problem that's troubling everyone to a greater or lesser extent, but that really seems to be at the root of their particular struggles. It does, yes, and they've put a lot of upgrades on recently, attacking that specific problem which started it. The 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 that upgrades um, package with the first bit was at Silverstone, um, and the second bit came in Hungary, where it it did show marked improvement in form in Hungary. But we don't know really whether that's just track specific or whether that's the the the, the coming together of the two upgrade packages. Well, we we sort of get a better read on that as we get a, a few more races in. But um, yeah, talking to them, they do seem to have a at least got a they, they give a good account of where where they feel they're lacking and where where they are uh, you know what they're doing to attend to it um but it, it does seem a little bit unresponsive so far yeah and i think um certainly their mechanical packet package has been reasonably strong i think it's when you get into the aero uh corners should we say that they, they have a few uh little troubles let's move on to alfa romeo now we've given them an e which obviously is lower than alfa tari but i think alfa romeo we were expecting a little bit more from they're down in ninth in the championship mark just the nine points what do you make of what the sauber team's done this year yeah a little bit underwhelming i mean last year they had the, what was um the basis of the same car was quite often knocking on the door of best of the rest. And it was, they didn't always convert that. Their operations weren't great last year. But this this year, that, that car has very, very rarely been anywhere near best of the rest, although it did pop up there uh, in, in Hungary. And it, you know, it seems to do better on high downforce tracks than uh, aero efficiency tracks or low drag tracks, let's say. Um, we thought it would go well at Monaco, just like we did last year. But again, it, it doesn't ride very well. So, yeah, it, it's got the same traits and the same set of limitations as last year's car. And they don't seem to have progressed all that much with, you know, um, to just sort of smoothing, smoothing that out. I know the team is in a state of transition as it becomes a much bigger team. And it, it's going to be Audi in a couple of seasons' time, of course. And I don't know. May, maybe the the, the short term stuff is is not been a such a priority. But it, it's definitely g- given the promising performance last year's car showed. I, I, I feel that this year has been a bit of a disappointment. You know, the, as an average, they 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 they're not much ahead of Alpha Tauri in in raw pace. And although you know their highs are definitely higher, they they yeah, they they've got um, just as many lows. So yeah, a bit disappointing there. Mark, as you say, um, you know the, the the difference really was Hungary was was their best as far as performance is concerned, point um, four of a percent or just almost point five of a percent away from the front. But the second best was Canada, which confuses me because that is a track where you know efficiency does come into it. Yet yeah, all the corners are relatively slow speed, and the straights are you know long, and you do run a, a, a compromised downforce level. But it's it's interesting that t- those two tracks are their their first and second. Uh, best performance this year. It seems to be the, you know, the middle of the, of the road tracks where there's you know good fast corners that they sort of seem to lose their way a little bit. So I don't I don't really understand because you know Bottas obviously he's got you know his uh, his talents there. We've seen it against Lewis Hamilton. Yes, he, you know he didn't beat Lewis all the time, but he was there at, a lot of the times. Um, so in reality, you'd think that the, he would have brought some stability of what they needed. Uh, I know that. Uh, you know, second driver Zoo, you know, he's a new boy in town, so yeah, he's going to wring its neck now and again, um, and probably doesn't come with the experience, but he's still quick. So I'm, I'm surprised that the Sauber team as such, coming from where they they were and, and going to somewhere, you know, with Audi in a couple of years' time, I'm surprised that they haven't really had been able to focus in and, and, and make a move forward, because you've got to show it to yourself that you know what's going on, and, and they're not doing that at the moment, I don't think. 
Yeah, certainly high-speed corners seem to be a weakness, a little bit draggy at times, quite erratic performance. Valtteri Bottas has talked about the team missing their targets, both in terms of the aero side and the mechanical side. So quite a lot of work to do there. And I think they're still in that mix for seventh in the constructors. There's this group of four teams at the back battling for that, but they need to make the most of their good days if they're going to do that. And Hungary certainly was a missed opportunity. Let's move on to Haas now, Gary, they're in uh, eighth in the championship, 11 points, level with Williams, so equals seventh, uh, really. We've given them a C-, minus, which reflects the fact, obviously, the expectations aren't super high for Haas, and they're probably about where you'd expect them to be, battle for seventh or eighth, but we've seen this huge difference between single lap pace and qualifying pace, haven't we? Yeah, that's their biggest problem, to be honest. You know, I think um, they've done the right thing by bringing in Nico Hulkenberg this year. Um, you know, Nico's been very, very good at qualifying. Now, whether that's you know the right thing or the wrong thing, I'm not quite sure. But you can sometimes um, think that it's all okay if you're qualifying quite well, and you know you're going to find that magic little um, tuning device that helps you in the race as well. But it doesn't. It hasn't happened. You know, they seem to eat up the rear tires far too quickly in the race um, then you just lose traction you lose rear end grip so the whole thing spirals and uh, you know as, as many people will say the points are awarded on the, on Sunday and not on Saturday so you know you need a car that's good at both that's what makes it work uh, it doesn't you don't have to be you know you don't have to look at Red Bull and say oh we want to be on pole beside Red Bull you have to say what what you do is qualify 10th qualify 12th or whatever and then finish 9th or finish 11th or in the same you know same ballpark so that you've got got an understanding of what you've got and then you can try to improve from there but whenever you're able to qualify whatever it is 6th or 7th and you finish 17th or 18th then you've got the you know the balance of payments between qualifying and the races is definitely in the wrong direction so the most important thing they can do right now is try to get themselves a setup that allows them to qualify reasonably well and then finish in that similar position in the race because then as I say you're, you're getting the best out of the product you've got then you have to develop that product to go forward but um, they, they don't seem to have done that and we're halfway through the season now and you know the, the problem has been there from race one. And I guess the question there is whether that solution is in the car because of course Mark it's largely Ferrari parts isn't it mechanically the aero concept therefore has to follow the Ferrari approach because so much of the architecture is the same. How much of this do you think is in the hands of Haas and how much do you think they've inherited from their technical partner because there's so many 2023 mechanical bits in that car? Yeah, it's an interesting question, but the, the, the swing is nowhere near as extreme on the Ferrari as on the, on the Haas, although that, you know, it, it, it is imbalanced in the same direction, but it, not, not anything like the same extent. And it reminds me of the 2019 Haas, which, if you remember, used to qualify best of the rest quite regularly and be down near the back within a few laps and it's not quite as extreme as that but it, it, it is pretty pretty stark so yeah in that case they did discover what it was late in the season there was something that was some aero stall that was um causing the rear tire tread to get too hot very quickly i wouldn't be surprised if there's something similar going on because it's just too extreme to just say oh it's just a it's just a ferrari trade yeah and it may maybe Inherently it is, but it's something more than just that. Yeah, and it's interesting. Watching trackside, there are times when you can see there's quite a bit of instability in that. For example, I was watching it turn two in Hungary during uh, the two Friday practice sessions, and initially the car looked like it was turning in really well, but then when they started leaning on it, you could see there was just instability in there. So I guess, Gary, they need to kind of look into that, because that kind of instability, if there is some aero issue that that's meaning they're not getting consistency that's the sort of thing that can cause you big tire troubles isn't it yeah i mean as, as mark says some sort of aerostall i mean it is the the big word because it's that that leads to porpoising as well and you know one of the things about stalling the underfloor and it, it's happened you know with flat floors and diffusers right through to now ground effect anything that's working relative to the ground and has a changing height will always uh, potentially suffer um, and it's very very difficult in a wind tunnel to get on top of it um, and the thing you do is you know you run the car through all the different ride height ranges on the way down the straight for example where you start at like, high ride height the car gets lower and lower and lower as it does with the, the load going onto it and if you notice a, 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 a an area in the underfloor that suddenly the load is reducing 
that's that's fine. That's what you want. Normally, that's where you get a drag reduction as well. So you you want the diffuser to stall if you can. And I, I, I relate it to the diffuser here just as a because it's a simple word to use. Um, that's all okay. As long as there's a drag reduction with it, then the car will go faster on the straight. But then it's the hysteresis that you've got to be very careful of. It's whenever you hit the brake pedal, how fast it reattaches that flow and you get the load back on the underfloor. That is really the critical area. It's not the fact that it stalls. It's just how long it takes to hit it. Now, when you hit the brake pedal, on average, let's say, you're braking for something like a second from you know 300 plus kilometers an hour down to 100 kilometers an hour to, to enter the corner. And if that if that underfloor hasn't reattached completely and produced the load by the time you're turning the steering wheel, then you're loading up the rear tires. It may attach then, you know, but just that little bit too late. So you haven't got the confidence in the rear of the car. And during that period in time as well, the rear tires are, you know, are overheating. So basically you're in a spiral to nowhere. So if you notice a, a, a diffuser stall as such in the wind tunnel, you've really got to look at it on the, on the track because... Anything you see in the wind tunnel will be, you know, 10 times worse on the track for sure. Yeah, a lot of work for them to get done there, but still very much in the thick of that battle. And it's Williams, actually, who are leading that battle for seventh with 11 points, same as Haas, but they've got uh, better results on Campback. We've given Williams a B because that reflects the expectations were relatively low. And you'd have to say, Mark, they're doing pretty well with the car that they've got. Yeah, I mean, inherently, it's not that much quicker relative to competition than last year. Um, it's still fully capable of being the slowest of the 10 cars, but it isn't always. Um, but on the low drag tracks, it's it's pretty efficient. So, it, you know, they, they, they have a chance at those tracks. And it seems like every time they get a chance, they grab it. Um, and partly that's Alex Albin, who I think has flattered the car quite a few times. Um, and partly it's the team has become very good at execution. When when they're in with a chance, they usually convert it. You know, they, if they get if they get a, an upper Q2 or lower Q3 qualifying position, they're usually in the points with it. And um, as I say, that's both the team and the driver, but they're both doing very good jobs. But yeah, the the, the basic car, it, it's 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 not that fast. It's it's you know not significantly faster than a. Uh, an Alfa Romeo or an Alfa Tauri, you know, there's, there's there's days when it's probably not not as quick as a, a Haas, but it, it they they are much um, more rounded in in how they are taking what 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 is in that car and converting it into points. And of course, they'd have had even more points, but for the uh, the, the error Albon made while running six early in the Australian Grand Prix. So uh, yeah, it's going very well for them. What do you make of Williams, Gary? Do you think we're being too generous and they should have a car that's got a bit more downforce on it, or is this good for a team that's at this early stage of its recovery? Um, it's acceptable, I suppose you might call it, as long as they know why. I mean, if we do look at Williams, to be honest, for for quite a few years they've always had a car, they've always been quick on the straight. Um, so they're you know the, the the car they build is is more is fairly efficient. The problem is they just never have never really got the, the the load on the car, the downforce on the car to sort of be able to swap that straight line speed for cornering grip whenever they needed it. Um, I think Alex Albon's a very very good driver. Um, Logan Sargent, I mean the question the question mark's still there. To be honest, he needs a little bit more of a consistent run before you can judge him. But I think that. You know, from my point of view, I would, I would like to see them be good at a couple of other tracks. The thing is, whenever you've got a car that's light and downforce, you need it to be well balanced, um, because obviously you just all you've got is the tire grip, uh, straight line speed, but you still need to go around the corners, and you need to make sure the car is well balanced. And they seem to be able to achieve that on on most occasions. Sometimes it drops off a bit, but on most occasions they seem to be able to get there. So they do seem to have a decent understanding of where they are. But maybe the, you know the car itself, they just don't have they don't accept downforce that's you know um, less efficient. Whenever they're they're researching it in the wind tunnel, maybe their barriers a bit too low. And I mean, for years we had the same sort of thing where um, you know as as Racing Point or or Spiker or Midland or whoever you like to call them or Jordan, even uh, back then, it was always somewhere that was quick at at Spa, and it was quick at Montreal. Um, and you know I was involved with that as well, and I, I never really knew why. It just happened to be that the car, the levels of downforce that we accepted, um, were were more efficient than than some other teams probably. But that meant we couldn't put the high downforce loads on the car whenever you needed them. So. 
yeah, you sometimes need to look at yourself a little bit whenever you've got a car that's good in one area, i.e. efficiency, but not good in other areas whenever you need that load. Yeah, and I think what we're going to have to see in future years is that gradual evolution on the aero side for Williams. This is a perfectly acceptable point for now, but yeah, there needs to be more to come in the future. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Well, we've talked about the group of four at the back. We're now getting on to the next group, which is actually a group of one because Alpine has very much been in a class of its own, probably not in a particularly good way. 57 points for them. They're sixth in the Constructors' Championship. They're well clear of the group behind, but a long way off the group ahead of them. So we've gone with D- minus for Alpine. Obviously, a lot going on off track there as well. Gary, what have you made of that team in terms of its technical level and the performance on track will kind of separate that from the the general disarray off it for a moment yeah the general disarray obviously leads to a bit of that but uh, on track you know the, again their their best race as far as um, performance was concerned was monaco um so you know it comes down to the fact that high levels of downforce or um less efficient car is a, is a good thing to have uh, and Monaco, you know, they turned out to be quite decent there. So it's one of those sort of situations where I don't really understand them. They, for a long time, they have talked a good talk. You know, they've had this hundred races before they're on the, you know, on top step of the podium or whatever. All that's just talk. You have to, you have to get on with it and show it. You know, and the two drivers they have, they're they're both at the same sort of time in their career. Uh, they're both probably battling each other as far as um, their talents are concerned. I don't think either of them is is uh, exceptional. Let's put it that way. But they're 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 stable they're stable type drivers. You know the, the team itself. They lost Alonso, whether that was good or bad at the end of last year. But they lost Alonso, um, and they lost uh, Piastri, who's obviously showing that he's a pretty good candidate. Um, it seems to be a bit of, there seemed to be a bit of negligence there, and, and I think that breeds through into the the acceptance of the problems they have as well. You know, they don't sort of stand back and take it all on and, 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 and really look at the facts and say, this is where we are, chaps. You know, come on, what are we going to do about it? And obviously yeah, that's all blown up now and, and their faces as such and they've done some major changes, but that's not going to help the technical group just buckle down and actually um, make the car better because once you get that sort of uncertainty within the company it, it breeds so i don't think i've done myself any favors but up to now i've seen so so little consistency in the in the whole team that it's 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 quite worrying i think yeah their aim for this year was to be fourth again but closer to the lead three teams safe to say they've uh, missed that by some way they did revise that uh, target in fact Otmar talked about it on this very podcast that they wanted to be fourth fastest by the end of the season that's looking a long way off as well this time last year they had 93 points now just 57 but Mark what do you make of it because it's been strange on track because there's times where you look at the Alpine and the pace it's producing you're like oh yeah it looks like they might be getting somewhere but then that seems to disappear and then there's flashes of it again later the team is adamant that they're not inconsistent but they do seem to be a bit inconsistent because it, the swings don't seem to precisely match up with the track performance sensitivities and what everyone else is doing. They just seem a little bit all over the place, but not without real flashes of promise. Yeah. Uh, I mean, when you look at their qualifying performance, as an average, it's not it's not very different to McLaren's yet. They've got half a number of points, McLaren. So 
something's going wrong and we know that yeah, they've had some very scrappy weekends, but that doesn't explain all of it. it. There is inconsistency in the basic performance. And, you know, it came into the season looking, you know, not not that bad. It, you know, it, was, it looked like it had Mercedes within sniffing distance of, you know, fourth, fifth. But that, that just it sort of stood still and those top four teams have, have just like pushed on, really pushed on. And in terms of their performance, they've, they've stood still and been leapfrogged by McLaren. So, um, yeah, the, the car's not either not been de- developed. I mean, we've seen new parts going on the car and they're visually different, but it, maybe it's not responding um, very well to those updates. And as I say, the, um, there's been too many um, failures to uh, extract what performance there is in the car and during the weekend, during the race weekends, it, it has been three or four really, really bad weekends in, in that sense. So, yeah, I, I think, as Gary said, you can't really decouple that from the um, the, the instability within the team, the personnel and the, the, the way it's been managed from above. Uh, I think that all sort of shakes down into you know, on-the-day performance. Let's talk about McLaren, which is sort of Alpine's natural enemy. They're on 103 points, fifth in the championship. They are actually the most difficult to grade. We've given them a C plus, which sounds a bit cruel because they've made this brilliant step and they've scored most of their points in the last four races. But that kind of reflects the fact the first part of the season was a bit of a write-off and they're a bit slow getting to grips with the demands of uh, the adapted regulations for this year. But the changes they made have been astonishing and the transformation has been quite remarkable. So what do you make of McLaren, Mark? This last four races really has been impressive, even though Spa wasn't quite the weekend they'd hoped for. Yeah, it's it's an unusual season in that they knew coming into it that they'd basically got it wrong with this car and they'd understood why even before that car ran. And so they already had the, the corrective measures underway, but obviously it takes a while for everything to come through the system. So it's really, as a result, been a season of three parts. They started with an uncompetitive car. Um, they got the big Baku upgrade, which made it a more respectable car, certainly in qualifying, but it, it's still a bit iffy in the race. Um, and I gradually developed that and made it quicker and quicker. And then uh, from Austria, it, it, it got the other... Um, the the, ne- the next big upgrade um, with a, a follow-on part in Silverstone, and that really sort of converted what uh, qualifying pace was there into race pace as well. It, it, it suddenly was could look after its tyres as well and maintain that competitiveness which it had latterly been showing in qualifying. And the drivers have gone with it all the way. You know, the two two really impressive young drivers there, and they've really they've really sort of gone with it. And it's it's been yeah it's been quite exciting to watch it, and uh, you know you, you've been waiting you think all right uh, they went okay on that track but that's the sort of track you'd expect it to be let's see how they go on the next track and then they go quick on that track as well and then and so it's been th- it's been quick on three different very different types of track now um, in in its it, it, its latest form and yeah it's 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 running well. Um, you get the sense it's probably hit its ceiling now. There's probably not another leap to come from this car, um, but I think this is the new, the the, the new technical group um, that was put together um, after the management changes, sort of late last season. I think um, this is them sort of grasping the the, the opportunity and and seeing and, and, and seeing the limitations, you know, quite realistically before the season began and changing what was, you know, a, a few fundamental philosophies, they, 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 they came in with something different. And this is, this is the result of that change. So we're seeing this sort of transition from one group to the, to the next group, and it, it seems to be working well. The interesting thing, Gary, is that the McLaren drivers have said that although the car performance has taken a big step forward, it's still a tricky car to drive. It's still got these peculiarities, the things that Daniel Ricciardo found so difficult to deal with, these slight issues in the slower corners, and Lando Norris has described this this run of McLarens as being on a bit of a knife edge. So it's almost quite surprising that they've managed to make this big step while maintaining those limiting characteristics. What do you make of that? Yeah, there's obviously something in there that's making it a bit strange to the drivers, a bit of feel. Um, one of the things is is the power steering assistance c- 
curve, I suppose, against the, the car grip curve. Because, you know, the driver has got various parts of his body that he feels the car through. Um, his bum, his shoulders, and the weight on the steering wheel. And, and basically that's how he understands where, what the car's going to do next. And if the power steering uh, relationship to the load on the front, the front axle isn't, isn't together, then that can obviously throw a bit of a, a strange feeling into the car. But you'd think they'd get on top of that. I mean, one driver that used to hate the fact of the power steering not suiting his need was Kimi Raikkonen. Um, but it can be happening, you know, it can be happening quietly in the background and you not actually realise it because, you know, for somebody like, like Ricardo coming in from another team um, that had a completely different feel, it can be something as simple as that, really. Um, but you think McLaren would get on top of it. Um, I am quite impressed with the fact that they put these stages of development on the car and they did, you know, step forward. And it's, as Mark says, it's over various different types of circuits. And obviously we saw in Spa in the wet, it was pretty good. But I was surprised at Spa that they sort of end up running this high downforce setup. I mean, you know, going way back to, to 94 when, when Jordan got our first pole position with Rubens Barrichello. Um, that was the sort of reason we got it as well. We ran too high a downforce. Uh, it suited the circumstances on the Saturday, um, or as it was on the Friday, actually, but it suited the circumstances we got on pole position, but we just got eaten up in the race. And with you know today's technology, what, 30 years on, you think that you would be able to simulate these circuit conditions and end up with a, a better compromise when you get to the track than McLaren did for Spa. Now, maybe they expected rain on the race day, or you know, maybe they just built the car to, to go there. Just and if it was wet, they were going to do a good job. But it does seem like they're not, you know, didn't take in the big picture at Spa. I suppose I think we we'll have to wait for the next couple of races and see see where it goes to. But I, th- I think they're there now. You know, if we do look at the the super time that I've got here, if you take um, McLaren, it's it's one point oh five percent off the fastest, and if we take Alpine, it's one point oh six. So the fact that Alpine have not scored points has been down to the fact that, you know, on race day they've been sitting in the garage. The the car has actually got a reasonable turn of speed within it, um, but it's just not got that turn of speed consistently and it hasn't had the reliability. So I think, I think McLaren have definitely made a step. I think I'd wait for the next couple of races before we make a real judgment on it. Yeah, it's certainly been very positive for McLaren. They were talking about trying to get to the end of the season as the fourth fastest car, similar to that Alpine target. And I must admit, not so long ago, I thought that target was a bit optimistic, but certainly seems to be achievable. So yeah, more progress to come from them in the second half of the season, they'll be hoping. Let's move on to Ferrari now, Gary. We gave them a C- minus because the car's okay but it's well short of being a championship contender which is what you'd expect they're in that league group which is all right they've had a three podiums a bit disappointing but they're they're sort of thereabouts but yeah they, they've been a slightly frustrating team this year it's fair to say yeah you know what we got to remember is they are ferrari ferrari should be a team that's competing for championships that that is what they are um i know there's no god-given right to it but at the end of the day, that's what we expect from a team like Ferrari. And, you know, the other, of the other teams that's there with them, um, obviously Red Bull, uh, Mercedes and Ferrari are, the, you know, what we should class as the three sort of tops work, works teams as such at the moment. So it's pretty disappointing. I mean, again, it's the same old thing. It's They, they do have the speed. They're not bad. It's just, you know, on Sunday anything could happen. To be honest, that's the, that's the thing about it. From from tire choice to strategy to just actual you know lap time, anything could happen. It just you never know with Ferrari what's going to happen, and and that's really been their downfall. To be honest, um, they're not that far off uh, the, the front as far as super times concerned, but they it just it's just from one weekend to the next, there just seems to be this randomness. Um, they never seem to get the two drivers to to pull together, I suppose you might call it, as far as working as a team. They're, they're, they're still very individual in, in, their, in what they want to do come race day. And as far as strategy is concerned up to now, and they've made a change in that lately, but up to now, strategy-wise, um, yeah, anything could happen, I suppose you might call it. But th- you need to get more consistent. You need to be more more on top of the situation than what they are, and, and they're not. And that's that's where they'll gain from. As I say, the car itself on some occasions is is pretty decent, but not on all occasions. But come race day, they seem to fall apart too often. 
Yeah, it's been an interesting trajectory for them, hasn't it, Mark? Because they recognise they need to have a bit of a direction change during the year. They've really pushed to try and make the car more benign, cut out some of that inconsistency, and as a result, improve some of the tyre management. There seems to be quite a bit of confidence in the team that it's the right way and that with a 24 car and some architecture changes, they know where they're going. But it's not something that's really been proven out, is it? So do you think Ferrari's hit on that correct direction or is it far too inconclusive so far? I, w- I would think within the, this car concept that they have, they're gradually um, honing in on making it more consistent. And it, it, it started to look a little bit better in the last few races. And and, and certainly in Spa, uh, it held on to its tyre performance well. You know, you normally expect it to see if it's running ahead of a Mercedes, you normally expect to see it sort of get mugged at the pit stops because it can't hold on to its tyre performance as well. But that didn't happen. In fact, it was a Mercedes which was giving up on its tyres first. So um, there's been a, probably by, by three out of the last four races, it's looked okay in that regard. Um, it's just the, it's been a little bit disappointing that this concept, which is pretty much what they had last year and was very competitive, certainly the beginning of, of last year, has really sort of hit a ceiling, it seems. And, and the Red Bull, with their concept, has just kept moving on and moving the goalposts. And the the, the Ferrari thing looks like it's, it's just hit a ceiling. So it'd be interesting to see what they're planning for um, next season, whether it's going to move away from this sort of outwashing bodywork and more like the, the, the Red Bull bodywork and then floor and suspension combination. It's, it's all, you know... It, quite an interconnected package, uh, or whether they're still adamant that they, they, they can they can make this this one work. And uh, all the signs are at the moment that it's just got a, a more limited ceiling than the, um, than, than the Red Bull concept. Yeah, it's that all-important mechanical platform side of things as well to work with the aero uh, concept seems to be the main thing. But they certainly came into the season expecting to be stronger with that concept and thinking they're in the right direction and were disabused of that notion quite quickly with Red Bull's pace. So another team with a lot of work to do. We'll get back to the pod in a moment. But first, a word about our partner, Grammarly. No matter what kind of work you do, how you communicate is key. All those emails, reports and presentations are equally important to the collaboration needed to get things done. And Grammarly can help. Grammarly is your AI writing partner to help you communicate more effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact at work. I know from experience that Grammarly can help you save time on any writing task and ensure you feel confident about what you've produced. In fact, 96% of Grammarly's users report that Grammarly helps them craft more impactful writing, and their tone suggestions can help you navigate even the most difficult work conversations. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Sign up and download for free at grammarly.com forward slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said done. Let's move on to the top three now. We'll talk about Aston Martin. We've given them an A minus, which sounds a little bit harsh, but I think the minus reflects the fact that the past few events, things have got a little bit less competitive for them. Mark, I guess the overwhelming thing with Aston Martin is what a leap forward. They've taken more than 10 times the points they had at this stage last year, that run of six podiums in eight races. So it's whatever happens from here, a very successful season for them. Yeah, I mean, the overwhelming impression is is, is a very positive one. It, it's a, a much bigger step than um, I think the outside world was expecting. And it was for a, a big part of the season, probably on balance, the second best car. You know, it it didn't quite have the Ferrari's qualifying pace, but it was quicker than the Mercedes, but it was quicker than Ferrari in the races and often quicker than the Mercedes as well. And you had Alonso just banging in the points there. And it really did look quite an impressive uh, campaign. But there's been this sort of bizarre drop-off in form. So up until Austria, really, it was it was the it was as I said, probably the second fastest car. But since then, it's just dropped away. And it, 
it's it's as if they've made some change of, of development direction or they've put something on the car and they, they've they've lost something um you know that that they haven't put their finger on quite what it is yet. So, um, yeah, overwhelming, overwhelming sensation is is, is one of uh, is, is a good one, but um, a little bit puzzling. The, the, the latest drop off as soon as you as soon as you establish yourself, you know, as a, as a, a front end performer, you, you know, the spotlight is upon you, and um, this this drop off probably wouldn't have been noticed if you'd gone from, you know. Upper midfield, the lower midfield, which is where they sort of were last year, but it, it's very much noticed when you're dropping off from you know, potentially getting a, getting a car on the front row, and, and uh, but suddenly being only the, the fourth fastest car. So yeah, it's something, some some little ghost in the machine there. It's interesting because we know they're a team that struggled a bit with a car that would work across a wide wider ride height range, setting up for tracks with a big disparity in corner performance profiles was quite tricky they tried to improve that so i do wonder if that's something that the recent upgrades obviously had a floor upgrade in canada and then they had another step in spa that was tidying up the canada change but they also say that the effects these have had hasn't been anything unexpected so if the characteristics have gone awry it's almost as if it's because the, the characteristics they were putting together didn't deliver the net performance they uh, they wanted it's, it's a very interesting one gary can you make any sense of, of where they've gone wrong well, I talk a lot about the sort of aerodynamic philosophy of the of the car, and that's part of it. You know, you you have a group of people that's trying to achieve certain things, and on the way there, you know, there's somebody at the top of it, i.e., you know, Red Bull, Adrian Newey, saying this is the direction we want to take. So let's look for stuff that takes us down that road, um, and and throw away all the other stuff because this is what we believe makes the car go faster. And if it can make that better, it'll it'll go better. And every team has got its own group of people doing that. Now, if your if your philosophy is set that the aerodynamics are looking for, you know, more right height at low right height, or a low more downforce at low right height, or more downforce at high right height, um, and they achieve it, then that's their you know they're, they're doing their job. But at the end of the day, if it doesn't turn into lap time, then what they're asked to achieve is not is not the correct direction. So. That's what it looks like to me that they've they've sort of developed themselves in the wrong direction. They've taken what they've got and said, "Where's our deficit?" And obviously, you know, we saw at Monaco the car was in decent, you know, good condition. Yet um, they went to Monaco potentially expecting, well, not potentially, could have won the race. Um, but you know, low speed corners, very good, high speed corners. So I, I imagine that their philosophy was to to improve the downforce levels at high speed. Um, or low ride heights as such and that can very easily lead to underfloor airflow separation problems that again as I said earlier on you know finding them and solving that solution to to have the the airflow separation problem to reduce the drag but not actually hurt your corner entry can be very very tricky and I think that's, that's what I would say their 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 philosophy of what they're trying to achieve with develop the development direction of the car, they've they've slightly got it wrong. Not that they haven't achieved it; they have achieved it, but it's the wrong direction. Yeah, that's kind of consistent with what they've been saying, and that it's not something that surprised them in terms of what it's doing. But yeah, they've slightly miscalculated the uh, the right trade off. So yeah, that's an interesting take there. I think the one thing we can largely shrug off is the tire change impacting them, which Fernando Alonso had talked about a bit. Now, the team themselves doesn't seem particularly interested in using this as an excuse. Rival teams say it hasn't made much difference. Yes, even a small change in construction can have an aero impact, but the consensus of opinion in the paddock is that that's not made a difference. If it has made any difference to Aston Martin, it's very much a minority, you know, a, a tiny part of the uh, the equation, not uh, not much of it. Because teams have had to make slight adjustments for the uh, for the tyre change, but not big ones. It's not changing ride heights or anything like that. Aston Martin have promised they've got some more changes in the second half of the year. Lots more parts coming and another floor step that will be a little bit more different. So let's see if that's the corrective action they need. Let's talk about Mercedes now, Gary. We've talked and talked about Mercedes over the past 18 months. There's no signs of that abating, obviously. It's a bit like last year, isn't it? They've had problems. They've had upgrades and false dawns and good weekends and bad weekends. And the overall direction of travel seems to have left them pretty much 
where they were. So what do you make of Mercedes? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a very, very, very difficult to answer because, you know, they've had changes within the company as well now to, to try to, you know, re-sort of direct themselves as, as which way they're, they're going. Um, James Allison's come back as technical director from having some time um, doing something else. Um, so it's it's one of those sort of situations where during the season it's very, very difficult. I think you know the only team that we're looking at right now is actually making a major step in the in the season is McLaren. You know they've they've definitely made a step forward. So for Mercedes, that's a bit of a shock because McLaren use you know their engine, their power unit. So um, at the end of the day, there's some equalising factor there. But it does it do, what it does say is that you can improve your performance as the season goes past and that wakes everybody up a little bit and I think that's really what Mercedes have got now they've, they've, they've actually been woken up a little bit by McLaren if we look at last year I think the start of the season they were they were in shell shock for probably the first half of last season because they were looking for that magic bullet on the setup that would put them in the position where the car would just you know outperform anybody because of what they thought in the wind tunnel um, what they were going to, you know, if they get that on the circuit, they were going to outperform everybody. And, you know, it, it wasn't going to be like that. They did end up in pole in Hungary, um, but fell away, you know, fairly quickly in the race um, last year. They were on pole in Hungary this year. So obviously there's a, some area in Hungary that the, the car is decent and that, and that type of corner. Um, so it's, it's one of those sort of, it's a grey area, to be honest, with, with them as to, what direction they need to take? I don't think they're. I don't think they're open-minded enough to to go all the way and try to create a, let's say, a Red Bull look-alike side pod because it's not just in the visual aerodynamics of the car. It's 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 underneath the bit we don't see, you know, underneath the car and how the the visual part works with that bit underneath the car. Now they did some changes in the front suspension to support the car better under braking. Um, it's that's you know it's sort of fallen by the wayside. It's 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 there. Yes, it does do that. But the the thing is with these cars, it's the rear end you want to keep down if you can under braking, and they're not able to do anything with that because obviously the gearboxes get it. So they you know they they maybe have to wait till next year before they can do the major change. But um, on the way there, I'm 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 sort of you know, and this is wrong to say, I'm disappointed in what I see as their development stages. You know, what they did for Spa, from my point of view, was a bit strange. You know, the radiator intake area and, you know, it doesn't follow the philosophy of either Ferrari, which, as Mark says, with their sort of very aggressive outwash, or the Red Bull with its letterbox, you know, high up out of the way, so you get mass flow underneath it. It doesn't follow any of those routes now. Maybe maybe Mercedes do know more than the rest of them, but at the minute it, it doesn't look like they do. And... Um, they're definitely a little bit lost. And I think they're lost within themselves because every weekend's a bit of a surprise for them. Obviously, Mark, if we take the the generous interpretation, they're on the right track. They'll make architectural changes for next year. Obviously, things like the gearbox and the monocoque are, are, are locked for the year, rear suspension, and that the direction's right and they'll be back on terms next year. But this is kind of what was being suggested last year. So how certain do you think they are that they've got to the root cause of the problems and and solved all the things that sent them in the wrong direction in the first place? Because it's it's not completely convincing yet, is it? We, we still aren't seeing that kind of steady progress that we want to see, even though we have seen some kind of juddering improvements. Yeah, I don't think they feel themselves that they are completely confident that they have nailed it. I think they are hopeful and they're trying to gather as much information from these latest updates as possible to try and give them a better direction for next year's car. But no, I'm not convinced they did so far that um, they, they are. That they believe they're on the right track. They, you know, they they felt that with that zero pod concept of car last year, that the only problem holding it back was the the bouncing and the stiffness. And once they um, found a way of eradicating that, which they largely did. Um, it would it would be able to fulfil the potential it showed in the wind tunnel, and that's just proven not to be the case. So they then, I think there's been quite a bit of um, sort of split opinion in the team as to whether they they needed to do what they did with the Monaco update, which is uh, give it ostensibly the exterior bit 
more like the Red Bull within the limitations of the architecture of the car. Um, but it's, it's not really made it any faster, I don't think. It, it, the driver says the, the front feels a bit better, but it's not really something that's been reflected in lap time or competitiveness. And the latest updates um, in, it brought the bouncing back at Spa. And they weren't alone in that, but they're probably the, the worst afflicted. So from the outside, it looks as if the whole philosophy of, of a car with a you know very low low tunnel, uh, which is what, what everybody did initially, apart from Red Bull, which went to a sort of higher tunnel, but lower right height. Um, it looks like this low tunnel, but the, the higher right height, it forces you to run in to avoid the bouncing. It looks like they're still caught in that loop, but now that may be because that's just, they, they can't do anything else with the suspension they've got or whatever. Or it may be that they believe that 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 still is the way to go. I don't know, but you can't be doing anything but look at the Red Bull and look at how it is doing it. And it is, you know, from what we've seen of pictures, it has a higher roof tunnel, um, and then runs the car lower because it has a suspension travel to enable it to do that. And that looks to be the way that you get around that problem of the having the downforce and not having the bouncing of having your cake and eating it. And it looks like Red Bull went into the second season, probably expecting everybody else to have figured that out. And nobody did. And it looks like, you know, that we might be into the third season of these regulations before we see more pro proper Red Bull copies in terms of the, the, the important bits, the underneath bits, and then the, 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 the platform on which uh, the car runs to enable you to do that. But Mike, you know, one of the things that you're saying about the tunnel height, you know, if I go back to the late 70s, early 80s, when ground effect sort of first came about and Formula One, that was exactly the same problem then. You know, that's what, 43 years ago now. Um, you know, you could put the, the throat of the tunnel lower and you would produce more downforce, but the car would, would porpoise, the car would, you know, have on and off switch like a downforce. It would just be horrible to drive. Um but, you know, if you could get it right at a given circuit um, and control the right height reasonably well, then it would be okay. But I remember, you know, those cars going past the pits at Monza um, and with their really, really um, very high rebound dampers that was made by Coney at that point in time that everybody used, you know, the front wheels are coming off the ground, the porpoising so much. So you can you can tie the wheel to the car, but you can't stop the porpoising. And it just, you know, the, the front tires just start bouncing. So that problem's been around for as I say, it's 40 odd years now and it, it's not going to ever change because you've got, you know, you've got this aerodynamic surface, you're accelerating the airflow on through and it's, it's other, the other half of it, it's proximity to the ground is really, really critical. And, you know, it's even easier nowadays to, to get on top of it because so much of the, the geometry of the car is actually controlled in the regulations way back in the, in the late seventies, early eighties, it wasn't like that. You could, you could do a lot, you could do what you wanted really. Um, but now it's, it's a lot of it's controlled. So it, it, it relatively right now it should be easier than it was back then. But the problem the problem just seems to still be there. And that's why Mercedes has been graded C by us. Second in the championship, they've got a reasonably comfortable margin, but they've got just under half the points of Red Bull Racing. So that's not what they were aiming for this year at all. And let's move on now to Red Bull, Mark. We've given them an A+, which reflects the fact that not only is their car extremely quick and has blown everyone out of the water, but also they've consistently made the most of it. They've won every single race, including the sprint races, and only missed out on a couple of pole positions. So we've talked a lot about what makes Red Bull so good, but this is just such a together team car driver package across the board, isn't it? Yeah, this is just one of those combinations that you only see now and again in history. It's We saw it in... Uh, with the Schumacher era, Ferrari, say, and um, a little bit of the Hamilton era, um, Mercedes, but there was a bit more competition there with, with from Ferrari and, and occasionally from Red Bull itself. But this this is one of those occasions of real domination, like you just saw McLaren in 88, that sort of domination. It's just you know, they turn up at the weekend and it's just a question of how much they're going to win by, how much... Um, how close can the others get to them? There's no, there's no other question, really. And it, everything is just absolutely functioning at its peak. It's a very happy team. Um, it, it's, it's got a competitive tension within it, and that's you know set by the relationship between Max and the, and, and the team. 
but as you say, it, it, it is just yeah, it, it's, it's it's operating so well in in, in every every measure, and um, yeah, as, as we're talking about in the Mercedes category, the Mercedes segment, they went with a different uh, philosophy with the, with these aero regs last year, in terms of how they how they pitched um, tunnel height with suspension compliance and platform control and for this yeah they've just built on it and have made an even more sophisticated version of that floor with even better platform control in terms of what the number of the rear suspensions they've got like anti-squat anti-dive um it's even more extreme and it's just working as a package fantastically well and you've got max for stop and driving it so you know even if it does have a difficult day if it can't quite get its tires up temperature and you've got max for stop in there to, to pull you out of that so yeah just just a brilliant brilliant package and also just absolutely peerless on race day you'd have to say wouldn't you gary they tend to have performance in reserve i think they could have won a lot of these races by much much bigger margins which just tells you how in control they are yeah, I think, you know, if you look at Spa, it's one of the only races you have to really look at. I mean, they were obviously sixth on the grid because of the gearbox penalty. And it was no drama. There was no rush to get to the front. You know, everybody sort of knew it was going to happen. And it was just, you know, bish, bash, bosh. And uh, got to the front and disappeared off into the distance. So, I mean, that, that shows up to me, like Mark says, it's, it's a car for sort of all occasions. It, it, was, it was good in the wet, it's good in the dry, it's good race day, it's good in qualifying, it's good in hard tyres, it's good in soft tyres. Um, and the thing that it, it also showed out in Spa, it was, it was good in traffic. You know, you could go through El Rouge, through all those fast corners, um, following somebody. So all together as a package, you know, um, to, right down to the DRS efficiency when they, when they can use it, um, you know, it's it's a it's a positive. You know, they got just give them an A plus there, as I said earlier on. Whenever we were talking about AlphaTauri and, and me getting D's at school, I never got an A plus. But you'd have to really give them an A plus plus, I think, because the the steps they've done as well as, of development. You know, they're all in my book at least. They're all logical steps. They're all good good stuff. You know, that letterbox radiator t- intake, and as I say, it's not. You know, it's not the only part that makes it all work, but it's part of the parts that make it all work. And by just getting more mass flow through that undercut in the side pod, um, and having controlling the radiator spillage so it goes down to the uh, the top surface of the side pod, doesn't interfere with the downforce producing part of that flow, which is that mass flow that's going around you know in the in the side pod undercut. It's just you know it's just logical thinking to be honest in my book. Um, so. I wouldn't necessarily have thought of doing it, but once you see it, you think, oh, yeah, okay, I can understand that. There's so much stuff that you look at and you think, hmm, don't, you know, why are they doing that? I don't really understand why. And you've got to dig deep to try to get a reason for it. But on the Red Bull stuff and their steps that, that they're taking, it's, it's all, you know, it's all logical improvements to a philosophy that they've got in hand. So, as I say, the main magic is underneath the car. We've seen a quick photograph of the underfloor um, not enough for me to get to stick my neck out and say what a thing it works like, but I have to say it's it, it's uh, a step ahead of most others. Yeah, very much so. And there's an interesting general point to draw from one point you made there about how well the Red Bull seems to follow. And you'd have to say, Mark, that if we had, let's say, a grid load of Red Bulls in terms of their philosophy, the way they worked, rough performance, not only would they be quite close on pace, but I think they'd also race quite well, wouldn't they? Because they do follow well, which I just think registers an interesting point when you're evaluating the success of a rules package of separating the rules themselves and the execution by teams, because it's not always the same thing, isn't it? So I think actually Red Bull's performance gives some hope for this rules package. Yes, and I think this rules package was all about getting more more of your um, total downforce from the underbody, which, of course, is less disruptive. And, of course, everybody apart from Red Bull ran into problems generating their underbody downforce because of the, the bouncing limitations and how high they have to run the, the right height to keep away from that threshold. And so they end up putting more wing on to, to compensate. And then, you know, the, you, you get into raceability problems again whereas the red bulls kept the purity of that intent it it, it still does generate a, a big big proportion of its total downforce from the from the underbody for you you can observe that from 
um, the change in wings that the others have to make for, according to circuit. The Red Bull has to make less of a change, and it, 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 I think it's just a more like the type of um, aerodynamic performance that was anticipated as these rules were made. So that's an interesting point to finish on because a little bit of optimism for these regulations that if everyone can go Red Bull's way and do a good job next year, perhaps we will see the racing everybody's been hoping for. So there's your optimistic, upbeat note after this uh, mid-season review. So thanks very much to Gary and Mark for your insight. Great as always. Head to therace.com and don't forget the hyphen plenty to read there from Gary, Mark and the rest of the team. Check out our other podcasts including Bring Back V10s, The Race F1 Tech Show with Gary, our Formula E podcast, MotoGP and also IndyCar and also check out our YouTube channel. Well, as I always say, we're going to keep plowing on through the August break, so stay with us for everything you need to know from the world of Formula One. The Athletic. So what you're saying there, Ed, is really that if we get 10 teams with 10 Red Bulls next year, which we probably will do, um, we're going to have a very competitive season. Exactly. That's the hope. (laughs) 